Hello, everyone. It is Saturday, and that means it's time for a Saturday Stuff You Should Know Select episode. As you know, Josh and I curate these each week. We take turns going back through the archives and picking out some of our favorite episodes. And boy, oh boy, did I love this one from January 5th, 2016. The Satanic Panic of the 1980s. We lived through it. We talked about it. It's pretty amazing stuff. Check it out right now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Uh, and this is Stuff You Should Know. Hail Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that would have gotten you locked up a few years ago. Yeah, so I want to go ahead and say that I would like to do one on Satanism. Yeah, for sure. The religion. Misunderstood. May, may include the Church of Satan, or maybe those are two separate things. Uh, yeah. Um, and the PMRC. Is that the Tipper Gore mm-hmm. organization? Yeah. I just this this brought back a lot of memories because we lived through the Satanic Panic for sure, and I remember it very distinctly. Yeah. Like, oh, I can imagine. As a young Baptist, I was afraid. My right. Friend. I can imagine. <laughs> I was very scared. Um, I remember like growing up thinking, you know, some of the big kids are sacrificing things in the woods. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, which is, I mean, like, that was just part of your normal everyday thing, like walking around thinking that was happening. Yep. But um, it turns out, in retrospect, it was all almost entirely made up. Yeah, uh, there was also, and I imagine every neighborhood or town had this. Mm-hmm. We, there was uh, off Memorial Drive, there was uh, Satan House, where supposedly devil worshippers Oh, lived. yes, yeah, yeah. Did you have one in your town? Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny to me to think about that now. They were probably just... Nice, normal people. It's probably some old uh, uh, shut-ins, some old folks, elderly folks who just couldn't get out of the house much. Right. They hadn't murdered anybody for years. You ever notice? You never see anyone? Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> kind of dilapidated or run down. Yeah. It's because yeah. they're old. Yeah. Uh, and we want to issue a big COA here. Parents, this has got some pretty grisly stuff in it. You probably don't want your kids listening to this. Even though it was all made up. Uh, yeah, but there's some detail in some of this. It's, uh, I found myself even going, ooh, we have to say that? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just, it's rated, uh, R. Maybe even X. For content. <laughs> I'm thinking, Chuck, we should put together, uh, the Times America Lost Its Mind Suite. Yeah. We'll include this. Uh-huh. Um, dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. Um, deprogramming, cult deprogramming. Sure. Salem witchcraft trials. Mm-hmm. McCarthyism? McCarthyism, that's right. Yeah. We're going to do it. One I'll of these like days, it. I'll actually put some of these suites together. Yeah. <laughs> they exist. They're <laughs> mental suites. Right. Okay. Thanks, man, for letting me off the hook. Um, but I don't know if you guys have picked up or, on it or not, but I keep saying, like, that never really existed. It wasn't actually true. It wasn't real. This whole idea that we're talking about mm-hmm. from the uh, roughly the mid-'80s. Yeah. Till about the mid '90s, about a ten-year period, America, as a whole, was gripped by, again, the, the, there's no other way to put it, satanic panic. Yes. This idea that there were cults mm-hmm. of Satan worshippers who were very widespread, more than you would think. Oh yeah. Who were abducting, killing, raping, molesting our children, mm-hmm. mutilating animals. And who had been doing it for a very long time, 
And America was just now waking up to this reality. Yeah, it's your teachers. It's the cops. Even, it's the mayor of your town. Mm-hmm. There's a battle between good and evil very much <laughs> going on right now. Yeah. And somehow, some way, and people are still studying this, um, America clomped on to this idea and ran with it like it was for real. The idea that there were sat- murderous, child-molesting, satanic cults mm-hmm. operating almost openly in the United States was a very deep and widespread belief, not just among religious people, although they were at the, the forefront of this, um, but among people who were writing academic papers mm-hmm. and creating television shows and the news. Um, it was v- people in the courts were subscribed to this. It was this, it was a, it was what's called a moral panic. Yeah. And when I was reading this, even though I lived through it, I kept thinking, how in the world did this happen in the 1980s, yeah. 1980s, not the 1640s, right? not the 1300s? Sure. Uh, and it turns out there's a lot of reasons why. And we got to go back in time a little bit to touch on the early reasons. Got to go back in time. So this was... <laughs> <laughs> that should be our Way Back Machine theme song. That was just too darn loud. What was Oh, I was continuing with the Back to the Future references. What was too darn loud? Remember Huey Lewis when uh, he auditioned? He said, I'm sorry, this is too <laughs> yes, darn loud. that's right. <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Uh, and by the way, this is not just in the United States. Apparently, it was in the UK, Australia, Canada, South Africa, and South the Africa still has a cult crimes division. Yeah, I believe it. So, um, Robert Lamb wrote this article of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to be drawing from other articles as well, which we'll... Name drop along the way, I guess. Uh, one from Slate that was good. Boom, there's some name dropping. <laughs> I've got one for you. I'll, I'll hit it up later. All right. So uh, part of the groundwork was laid for this in ancient history. Uh, and Robert does a good job in pointing out that there is long, especially when it comes to Christian theology, long been a divide between us and them, heaven and hell, mm-hmm. two sides. Good and evil. Good and evil. Light and dark. I was going to repeat that, too. What else? <laughs> uh, yin and Yang? Yeah. super Christian. No, actually, that, I think Yin and Yang work together, right? Sure, yeah. We should do one on Yin and Yang. But a lot of people, um, it, it's not just Christians, Chuck. There's humans subscribe to an in-group, out-group mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I took an anthropology class once, and the professor was like, try to go a day without using words like us, them, we, yeah. they. It's impossible. Virtually impossible. Politics. That's just the way our minds go. In group, out group. And our group is safe and good. Mm-hmm. Their group is potentially threatening and possibly bad. We don't know. Absolutely. So throughout history, this has come up again and again and again. And innocent people have been persecuted for doing nothing at all. Uh, one good example are uh, the Jewish people. Um, Christians accused Jews in 1475 of using blood for kidnapped Christian children in rituals. Which is pretty ironic because the Romans, just a few hundred years before, had accused the Christians of bathing and dining and feasting on babies' blood. Us and them, once again. Babies' blood. It's a go-to thing for um, vilifying an outgroup. Oh, yeah. You'll see babies' blood in a lot of these cases. Yeah. Because that's, I guess, the hardest blood to get a hold of. Yeah. It's expensive blood. And the most grisly. Sure uh, witchcraft, everyone, of course, we 
did we do one on the Salem Witch Trials or just McCarthyism? We did one, I believe. Yeah? Well, let's say we have, and if we haven't, we will. Uh, I'm like, uh, remember on, uh, like, them being uh, high on Ergot? Yeah, we did something like that. Okay. All right, so 15th century, you had witchcraft persecutions uh, all over Europe, uh, innocent women being uh, killed, drowned, burned, you name it. Um, And, of course, none of this was true in all cases. Uh, When it comes to art, they laid the groundwork in the 19th century. The French romantic artist uh, loved painting stuff about uh, Satan and witchcraft. And uh, by the 1920s in the West, we had a pretty firm established uh, groundwork for believing in uh, things like demons and Satan and a fiery hell uh, and people who, who worship this Satan. Yeah, and uh, a lo- this, the weird thing is, Chuck, is there's this still to this day, there's this idea that at some point back in antiquity, at least, there were devil worshipers who like killed for Satan. And all of this was born out of whole cloth fabricated mm-hmm. from people who were doing the religious persecution along the way <laughs> and the people who were being tortured to confess into this kind of stuff. It was all just fabricated. But the fact that it was old, the fact that it was sensational, yeah. and the fact that it had been repeated so many times, it gained traction to become this... To, to gain this idea that it is historical fact at some point. Yes. People just take it as fact. But it's not true. No, it's not true. It's never there been true. There have never been satanic, satanic death cults in the United States or anywhere else. Right. These people have never existed. No. Now, that is not to say that people haven't killed in the name of Satan or anything like that, but there's never been any kind of satanic death cult ever in the history of the world as far as we can ever tell. It's all made up. Right. And we want to go further by saying that these people who have killed in the name of Satan are actually an example of life imitating art. Yeah. They're inspired by the fic- the fictitious myth because they're gullible and buy into it just as much as the people who think that this stuff is out there too. Like Richard Ramirez. Sure. And he was driven by Satan or something like that. There was a girl in the 80s in Georgia who supposedly killed a friend um, – and then performed a satanic ritual. It's like this stuff did happen, yeah. but it happened as a result of the hysteria. Of a movie. <laughs> it, it is a positive feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so now we're in the 20th century, and the roots of satanic panic can be found all throughout uh, the entertainment industry. Yeah. Uh, books. There was one in 1927 uh, by Herbert Gorman called The Place Called Dagon, uh, which was very influential and radical at the time. Uh Complete fiction, of course, but that doesn't um, doesn't stop it from establishing firmer roots that this could be a thing. Right. That's something that kind of keeps coming up again and again. Um, a movie or a work of fiction yeah. will establish some storyline, and then somebody will have read it and told a friend about it or something like that, and then it becomes a game of telephone. Along the way, somebody stops saying, I read in this work of fiction, right. or I saw in this movie, this happened. Instead, it becomes, this happened yeah. to a friend of mine's sister. Yeah, which we'll get to. Urban legend is one theory, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I know we did a podcast on that. We did. Uh, 1968, a couple of movies came out. Uh, one horror film called The Devil Rides Out with the great Christopher Lee, because he was in every weird movie. He was great, man. <laughs> he was the tall man in Phantasm, right? No. Who's that then? 
Mm, Christopher Lee was, sure. Was he? Oh, no, that's Angus somebody. You're right. Christopher Lee was the guy from, like, The Wicker Man. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, dozens and dozens right. of horror movies. Played Dracula a lot. Uh, Rosemary's Baby also came out that year, which was way more mainstream. Big, big hit. Great movie. Uh, yeah, really good. Still a very creepy movie. Uh, with uh, Mia Farrow and uh, Cassavetes and uh, Charles Grodin, weirdly. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not weird, but I just associate him with comedy. Yeah, but he always plays a straight man, so he could go back and forth. Yeah, he could he could straddle worlds. Yeah. <laughs> so those movies were, were huge uh, as far as planning. And, you know, of course, other things like The Omen and The Exorcist. And it was just it was just a big time for talking about Satan in movies. Yeah. It was very popular. What's interesting is you can trace it back to uh, initially that um, book, The Place Called Dagon, which inspired H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, that started it all, basically. Uh, music, of course, which uh, if we ever do one on the PMRC, we'll get to that and backmasking more uh-huh. heavily. But uh, satanic imagery and everything from like Iron Maiden to uh, King Diamond and uh, who else? Judas Priest. Yeah, Judas Priest. Remember, they got hauled in the court for backmasking. Yeah. Man, people. I know. And uh, then you have some real life things, uh, real life occult, like uh, Aleister Crowley and Anton LaVey. Who really didn't help quell the satanic panic fears if anything that helps set the stage no dressing up uh, like with candles and and being naked with like cloaks and pentagrams right isn't gonna make people feel any better no but that's what they're doing and if you will like i said we'll do one on satanism if you look at satanism it's not let's sacrifice animals and throw blood on each other it's more like hey we're on this earth for a short time let's party and just live for ourselves. Right. It's more yeah. about hedonism and being uh, atheist. Right. Than some weird, dark occult. Aleister Crowley was darker and more occult. Sure, and Anton LaVey definitely dressed his um, brand of Satanism up in that kind of, like, dark theatrics. Sure. But the really ironic thing about both of those guys' occult stuff is that, again, it was life imitating art or life imitating fiction yeah. their ideas of the black mask or the witch's sabbath or wearing pentagrams all that stuff yeah. came out of those witch persecutions from before they were fabricated from whole cloth so these guys were tapping into what was already part of the popular culture in the in the way of what people thought of satanism and satanic rituals and were just basically playing it up to the nth it was theater, degree is what it was very much so yeah. but to people who are scared to death of the idea that Satan is real and his worshipers are here on earth and are ready to kill you, those guys scared those people oh, and yeah. just proved that this is very real. See, look at those two. Anton LaVey, Aleister Crowley, proved that there are satanic cults. Right, exactly. And who knows what's going on behind that big, huge iron wooden door. Right. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a break here, and uh, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about... Uh, the 1970s um, Stranger Danger Panic, which factors in. Big time. All right. It's the 1970s, and all of a sudden, all you can hear about on the news is uh, our stories about child pornography rings. Child murders. Child murders, kidnappings, uh, crimes involving children in general. And not just that, Chuck. Like, 
at that time, America was really waking up to the um, to just how widespread child abuse was. Yeah. The and 1970s, which is creepy yeah. that it took that long. Yeah, it really was because yeah. apparently it took just a couple of doctors to really stand up and be like, I'm not looking the other way again on these unexplained breaks to a child's arm. Yeah. Um, it's the... It's the parents. You're you're breaking your kid's arm. That's abuse. That's wrong. Right. Stop doing that. And as a result, the government stood up and was like, okay, we need some laws here. One of the things that they enacted were mandatory reporting laws. If you're a doctor and you notice signs of child abuse, yeah. you have to report it. And as a result, in 1974, child abuse cases went from 60,000 nationwide yeah. to the year 2000, there were 3 million reported, right? right? And it was because of public education, a lot more visibility, um, and then mandatory reporting laws. But it had this cumulative effect of saying, America, your children are being, they're in danger. Yeah. And you need to do something about it. And this child protection movement grew out of it. Yeah, and I also get the sense that pre uh, the late 70s, I think the media, it was unsavory mm-hmm. to report on this kind of stuff. Yeah, I was like, that's, that's that family's business. Yeah, and just period. It's like no one wants to hear about this stuff. It's awful. Right. Uh, and somehow it got transferred to uh, probably to drive ratings. Like this is sensational is what it is. Sure. Yeah, anytime America's scared, all you have to do is poke and prod it, and you will get people to watch your TV show. That's right. And it's done very frequently. It's sad and despicable, but it happens a lot. Still does. There's another aspect to this too, Chuck, um, with the with the uh, child protection idea. Um, this is also a time, the 70s especially, is when it when women started to go back to work after they had kids. Yeah. Before they they may work and then they would have kids and that was it for their professional career. They would just stay home. They were moms for the rest of their time if right. they ever worked at all originally. Right. Right. Now, in the 70s and the 80s, women were having kids going back to work, and as a result, they were having to leave their kids in more and more daycare workers' care. Oh, yeah. And so this idea that their children were being abused or potentially abused really resonated with families where their kids were in daycare and weren't, like, constantly under their supervision all the time. How well do you know the people watching your kids? How much do you trust them? Yeah. Are they Satanists? Yeah. And this this fear took root because of that um, collective anxiety at the time with more and more families putting their kids in daycare. Right. Or they're just latchkey kids a little older. Yeah. Who uh, I remember during the Atlanta child murders, do you know where your children are? It's 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah. I'll do bet. Do you know where your children are? Yeah. It was just a time of, of in a good way, people were more aware of uh, than ever of potential dangers for their children. Yeah. So it's not like it was all bad, but when it goes into panic and, uh, well, we'll just see what happened. Yeah. It went from like zero to 120 in just a couple of seconds, basically. So what happened was, during the satanic panic, uh, largely it is based around um, court cases where largely daycare centers and people who cared for children were now being accused of some of the craziest things you could ever imagine in your entire life. Yeah. And like you said, one of the reasons this was fueled was very much because parents could relate to it. Uh, I mean, should we go ahead and talk about a couple of these cases? Yeah. um, You know, the whole thing sounds crazy and weird and everything, but just innocuous, I guess, until you come across the court cases. Yes. And then you're like, oh, real people lost decades of their lives because of this, because gullible people were in a position of power. 
and locked them up. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Kellers. What was the actual – this is the one in Texas? Yeah, in Austin. In Austin, Texas, uh, Francis and Dan Keller uh, ran a daycare center out of their home and were accused of the following things, among others. Uh, drowning and dismembering babies in front of other children. Huh. Uh, killing animals, dogs and cats, in front of children. And baby tigers. Baby tigers, that's right. Uh, taking the kids to Mexico to be abused sexually by Mexican army soldiers. And then brought back in time for their parents to pick them up. That's right. Uh, dressing as pumpkins. <laughs> this is my favorite. And shooting children in the arms and legs. Yep. Putting children into a pool with sharks that ate babies. Mm-hmm. Putting blood in their Kool-Aid, forcing children to carry the bones of uh, of bodies that they had dug up. Sure. And th- this is just a few. And I'm getting most of this from uh, this great Slate article, The Real Victims of Satanic Ritual Abuse, SRA, by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. Mm-hmm. So the Kellers were accused of all this stuff. Um, and here's generally what happens, Robert points out. A lot of times it starts with one... Um, Perhaps credible case of child abuse. Yeah. Sexual or, or otherwise. Right. And then that snowballs. They tell the parents, maybe this is going on. So they tell the parents, uh, hey, the, your child may be, uh, may be abused. The parents start looking. They start talking to other parents in that same daycare center. They start looking. They start asking their kids. Right. And it all snowballs into these little preschoolers basically making stuff up. And not only that, it's like, yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. They're not just abused. They're like, it's some Satanists that are like molesting children and murdering them. And the parents are like, what? Yeah. Or that plays into something they'd already heard on, on TV, which we'll talk about the media's role in this. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it snowballs and snowballs. And all of a sudden, um, once concerned parents get involved, um, and start talking to one another. Panicked, concerned parents. Exactly. Yeah. Um, then uh, people can end up falsely accused of some pretty horrendous stuff. People stop thinking critically, and um, you've got problems if you're on the receiving end of a finger being pointed at you. Well, yeah, because if you're a parent and your child goes to this daycare center, another parent and the cops come and say, hey, this parent's kid was sexually abused, what parent's going to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's fine. No, you're fine. Quit, okay. quit complaining. Yeah, I'm not going to check out my kids. Just take a salt tablet. <laughs> um, so, so with uh, with with the the McMartin case, which happened in um, Southern California. Yeah, yeah, and and actually um, ended up helping turn the tide against this. But the McMartin case, and then the Keller case in Texas, both of those were bolstered actually by bad medical testimony. Yeah. By inexperienced doctors Mm -hmm. who didn't know what they were looking at, who, in their defense a little bit, um, was the, at the time, no one knew. No one was looking at little kids, like three-year-olds' vaginas and describing what normal ones looked like. Right. So, since you didn't know what to look for, but thought you were looking for evidence of sexual abuse, anything could conceivably look like evidence of, say, um, vaginal trauma or something like that. And in the case of the Kellers in particular, um, the the little girl who was basically, I guess, um, accuser zero of this um, was was examined and found that um, her vagina showed some evidence of trauma, 
Later on, the doctor, after gaining decades of experience, saw that, no, that was totally normal what I saw. Yeah. And is not the, uh, the it's, I, I, I basically gave false testimony unwittingly, and I'm sorry. Yeah. And that was a huge thing because these people were locked away because of medical testimony. And again, the case against the McMartins was also bolstered by bad medical advice as well or bad medical testimony. Yeah, so with the Keller case, uh, the patient, or not patient, victim zero, Christy uh, Cheviers, Chavier? I don't know how you'd say it. <laughs> she was three years old, uh-huh. didn't go to the daycare center much, uh, and in 1991 told her mom that Dan Keller had spanked her. That's what started this whole thing. Yeah. So all of a sudden the mom says, uh, and here's a key uh, fact here, the mom goes to her therapist uh, the kid's therapist. Yeah, Donna David Campbell, who the, who the little girl was seeing because she had been acting out. She's like a central figure in this whole thing, this whole snafu. Who, the the doctor? Uh-huh. Yeah. So they go to her and say, listen, something's going on here. Can you talk to her about it? And all of a sudden, uh, Donna Campbell, Donna David Campbell, starts coaxing out all these really bizarre allegations <clears throat> about what's going on there. Uh, they made us take off our clothes and had a parrot... Pecus and the peepee? That was one. That was the earliest accusation that that formed the foundation of this whole case, the basis of the snowball. Yes. The so this is this is this is what begins the snowball. This is when the mom goes to the other parents, mm-hmm. like you hear what's going on here. Look at what's happened to my daughter. And what's really happening here <laughs> is something called uh, uh, it was part of the recovered therapy, uh, recovered memory therapy movement, which was very big at the time. In psychology, right. basically the idea that we have these repressed memories um, that of abuse, uh, many people do that they have no idea of, and it's up to the therapist to bring these out of us. Yeah, that's almost like a separate intertwined thread to this whole satanic panic thing. The satanic ritual abuse is the recovered memory therapy movement, right? And um, so the satanic panic can actually trace its roots directly to a book from 1972 by a guy named. Mike Warnke. He was a Christian stand-up comedian. He also was totally full of it. He wrote a book called The Satan Seller, where he talked about his life as a former satanic cult priest, I believe, and drug dealer. And he was eventually exposed far too late by the Christian magazine Cornerstone as almost entirely fraudulent and made up and just a liar. But his book just sold like wildfire through the, the Christian fundamentalist community and basically really established the groundwork for the idea that there were satanic cults operating in the United States, right? Yeah. For for the thread of the uh, recovered memory um, movement that formed part of the satanic panic, you can trace that back to a book from 1980 Yeah. called, I think, Michelle Remembers. Yeah, uh, 1980, and this was, uh, by the way, I was the, uh, on the cover of a Christian magazine in the 1980s. Cornerstone magazine? I thought it was, but it wasn't. Uh, guideposts. I've heard of that. That's a, that's a big-time Christian magazine, man. I was a cover boy one month. Nice. <laughs> what were you doing on the cover? I was, uh, I was at a, a church camp one summer, and there was just like it was like a four-panel cover uh-huh. of just kids having fun at church camp, and I was one of them. The May 82 issue? <laughs> Man, I, hope, I wish I could track that thing down. That'd be great. You, uh, if anyone out there has the issue of Chuck on the cover of Guidepost <laughs> magazine, from do you remember the year, roughly? Uh, it would have been um, probably between 1985 and 1987. Okay. 
We need that, everyone. <laughs> I want to post that that cover. That would be awesome. So this book, Michelle remembers. It was a. It was just like dropping a bomb in the midst of this. Everybody, so everyone was transitioning from who can we start pointing at and persecuting yeah. now that we've decided the cults are okay and we're going to stop deprogramming them. Yeah. Who can we, what can we do next? And this book comes in the midst of that in 1980. And it's a book about a woman named Michelle and her therapist, Lawrence Pazder. Yeah, he wrote it. And he, he was, he helped her uncover repressed memories of being ritually satanically abused Mm -hmm. or satanic ritually abused in the 1950s in Vancouver. Yeah, he actually ended up marrying her, and he uh, coined the term ritual abuse. It lies directly at his feet. And uh, this thing had a lot of traction. I mean, this lady was on Oprah. Yeah. She did the talk show circuit. Oh, yeah. For years, the guy was used as a, as a expert witness in court cases. Like, he, he founded a whole movement in psychology. It was completely debunked. Yeah, and the whole idea is it's based on this premise that if you undergo a traumatic experience, your mind is going to try to repress that memory. Yeah. But it's going to have all sorts of horrible effects in your life. You're going to be an alcoholic and a drug addict and maybe a child abuser. And you won't know why, but it's because you were abused as a child, probably by Satanists, and you covered it up and you need to go to therapy to have it unlocked. That's right. And a lot of people went to therapy and had these memories unlocked, which only proved Pazder's point even further. Right. The problem is, is if when they were reexamined, they were pseudo memories. Through the power of suggestion and overzealous um, therapists, a lot of people form memories of stuff that never happened. Yeah, the problem is recovered memory therapy. There's little to no scientific evidence that it's a thing at all. Right. That people unconsciously repress these memories. Um, the Royal College of Psychiatrists in Britain, uh, they have officially banned its members from using it altogether. Uh, the British Psychological Society says uh, you can use it, but you can't draw any premature conclusions. You have to have evidence, not just, well, this is what they said in therapy. Right, so that's a repressed memory that came to the surface. Right, and the AMA, I'm sorry, the APA and the United States, uh, their official stance was issued in 1980, I'm sorry, 1998. Uh, There's a consensus among memory researchers and clinicians that most people who were sexually abused as children remember all or part of what happened to them, although they may not fully understand or disclose it. So a competent psychotherapist is um, likely to acknowledge that current knowledge does not allow the definite conclusion without corroborating evidence. So again, the general consensus is that people don't completely unconsciously forget everything that happened. Right. It's virtually impossible. Yeah. Um, and so there, this idea that during therapy, while you're coaxing these memories out, you're actually forming pseudotherapy is backed up by a lot of follow-up research. Pseudo-memory. Pseudo-memory, sorry. Yeah. Um, is backed up by research. There's a researcher, a famous memory researcher named Elizabeth Loftus. She found that um, 90% of participants of this study came to uh, believe that they had done something they hadn't when confronted with witnesses who said that they had done it. That's the real danger in all this. Sure. Is that these memories become just as valid as real memories and do damage because they aren't real. And there's actually a real-life case that came out of all this. Dude, this one was crazy. Paul Ingram? Yeah. Paul Ingram was a sheriff's deputy, um, and he was accused by his young daughter of satanic ritually abusing her and that he was a member of a satanic cult 
and that um, she had been raped by this cult six to eight hundred times. Um, they had been involved in the murder of 25 babies at least. And Paul Ingram said, I don't remember any of this, but um, I, I, you must be right. So I, I'm going to confess. He was a preacher too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a fundamentalist um, Christian. So he was very much primed to believe that there is um, a, very, a very real Satan roaming the earth. And if his daughter is telling him that he did this, why, what, what reason does she have to lie? So he actually, I mean, he bought into it and, and took the rap for this, even though it never happened. No one ever showed that any of this stuff happened. Yeah, he, he served his full prison sentence of 20 years. 20 years. And maybe didn't even do it. Anything. Yeah. But he himself said, well, I don't know, maybe I did. Yeah. And I think he fully bought into it over time. Such a weird reversal in that case. It is. You know? Yeah. Um, should we take another break? Maybe so. All right, we'll take another break here and talk about uh, the media and then some other theories and, and cases in Satanic Panic. All right, if you were alive during the 1980s and early 90s... Which I was. Then you remember Oprah... Geraldo, Bubble Yum, Sally Jesse Raphael, yeah, you name it. Every single talk show, Donahue, yeah, doing lots and lots of shows on satanic death cults. If it's two p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon <laughs> oh, and you want to figure out how to get America to turn their TV yeah. to your station, you would have had a choice of different shows to watch, probably. Total, oh, covering yeah. satanic, yeah, planet. on the same day, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, everybody did Satanists. And Geraldo was the king of this. He actually had a two-hour primetime special in 1988 called Exposing Satan's Underground. And it is on YouTube in I think about 10 parts. I watched one of them yeah. where he had Ozzy on. Yeah. And Ozzy's like, uh. <laughs> Poor Ozzy. He's, Ozzy looks like a pre-Golden Girls Dorothy <laughs> is the way he's dressed and done up. It's awesome. But he's like, I, I don't mean to freak anybody out with me music. Um, and he doesn't know what to make of this, but Geraldo's like, Ozzy, just sit there. We'll get back to you later. Right. But there's this classic line in this, right? Geraldo goes, they're talking about a, a murder that was carried out by this boy. And um, Geraldo says to this cop, he goes, detective, you're a cop, not a theologian. But let me ask you, was this boy possessed? Dead serious. <laughs> And the cop was like, uh, I, uh, he hedges a little bit. He's like, I think that's a state of mind. But yeah, in, in that sense, yes, I think he was. <laughs> Geraldo doesn't get what he's looking for out of the guy. So he goes to an actual theologian, a priest. He goes, yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're, you're charged with um, investigating these cases for the Catholic Church. Do you think that this is a case of possession? He's like, absolutely. And Geraldo's like, yes, that's what I was looking for. But that's the level of journalism that people were tuning into on like NBC yeah. at eight o'clock for two hours in like the highest rated two hour TV documentary yeah. ever. And a third or a half of America is like, what idiot believes this? This is the most right. entertaining thing I've ever seen. The other half is scared to death and thinks that all of this is totally real. Yeah. You know, it's easy to laugh about now, but shame on all of them. Well, Geraldo came out and said, I want to apologize oh, for did. that bit of journalism. That was really bad, and yeah. I'm sorry for it. 
But, I mean, that's how he made his name was stuff like that. Well, he was caught up in the moral panic. Everyone was doing it. Yeah. Uh, there was a book in 1990, a children's picture book um, <laughs> called Don't Make Me Go Back, Mommy, colon, a child's book about satanic ritual abuse. Yeah. <laughs> to read to your children. Or if you were a therapist to, to, to use in therapy. Yeah, right. You know? They, well, they also had... In many of the court cases, little little anatomically correct rag dolls that they would use in court, like, you know, show me where you were touched and things like this. Right. Which I'm sure that has valid use as well in, you know, like sex abuse cases. For sure, but you— I'm not, like, completely poo-pooing that. You have to, um, uh, you have to use that. You, I would imagine you, you're training in how to do that correctly without inadvertently or advertently leading the, the child on into— creating some sort of pseudo-memory. Yeah. Well, it should be extensive, I would guess. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. So the media was definitely complicit in all this, really saw that there is a, a lot of ratings to be had mm-hmm. in just fanning the flames of the satanic panic. And I think a lot of people bought into it as well. Um, and then so too were things like the... Um, the field of psychiatry and psychology very much complicit in this by yeah. allowing repressed memory therapy to really spread as much as it did without any kind of real um, verified research into whether it was real or not. Yeah, and to defend them a little bit, Robert also makes a point. They're probably well-meaning, probably thinking they were doing this great work, like helping these kids. Well, sure. But like uh, with no scientific basis whatsoever. Right, and, a, and lacking a lot of critical thinking too. Yeah. And they dressed as pumpkins and shot the kids in the arms and the legs. Where are the bullet wounds? Yeah. How exactly did they get the kids to Mexico <laughs> and then back to Austin in an average daycare day? Secret tunnels. You know, secret tunnels. That was an, ex- an explanation. There was a lot, there, there wasn't enough critical thinking. So you can definitely take um, the media psychology, psychiatry, um, and a lot of um, law enforcement investigators to task for this. But really, there were a lot of hucksters and fraudsters making a lot of money as um, satanic experts at the time. Oh, yeah. Both as like legal um, legal uh, representatives. Um, expert uh, witnesses. Ex- expert witnesses. Authors. Um, going on shows like Geraldo sure. and Sally Jesse Raphael uh and those people are really should bear the brunt of this because they yeah. were just lying yeah lying 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 their faces off um and and scaring people to death and making a lot of money out of it uh so we said it was widespread there was a red book magazine survey in 1994 and this is at the end of the whole thing yeah true um that found that 70% of Americans believed uh in satanic ritual abuse uh, and in 1993, this is the really scary one, uh, a survey by the American Bar Association uh, Center on Children and the Law found that 26%, a quarter, more than a quarter of prosecutors said they handled at least one case involving ritual, satanic ritual abuse during that time period. Yeah. 25%. Yeah. 26%. So um, within that time, too, there was a very famous case in 1993 in West Memphis, Arkansas, yeah. The West Memphis Three, um, who were very famously exonerated thanks to crack documentary filmmaking yeah. um, on HBO's half. As a matter of fact, HBO really led the vanguard against this whole satanic panic. Yeah, um, They released in 1995 um, a documentary, or I think it was a biopic on the McMartin trial. It wasn't a documentary. I think it was like dramatized. Oh, really? 
And that really started to change the tide of how academics, intellectuals, and, and the media itself saw satanic ritual abuse, started to expose it as, mm, this is not real. Yeah, and this is after the McMartin trial had been the longest and most expensive trial in the history of the United States. That's right. 15 to $16 million spent for with zero con- convictions because it didn't happen. Right. Um, and that case actually was um, started with a woman who believed her child had been sexually abused. And the woman actually sadly went on to die from alcohol poisoning a couple of years later. And was schizophrenic. She was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic in that time. And yet nobody stopped and said, oh, well, wait a minute. She was the center of the accusers of all this. Should we take another look at all this? It was like, no, let's spend $15 million of taxpayer money trying to prosecute these people and get zero convictions out of it. Um, The West Memphis Three were successfully prosecuted in Arkansas. I mean, railroaded. Yeah. There is no other way to to put this, thanks to something like a false confession by Jesse Miss Kelly, um, which is mind-blowing until you should go listen to our episode on false confessions, which I believe we did that one, right? Uh, Either that or it was a part of another one. But, yeah, we covered that topic for sure. and the, and all of that was based on the satanic panic thing as well. Um, but you go, you should definitely watch those again. HBO documentaries, Paradise Lost one, two, and three. Yeah, and they um, they made the original one, Paradise Lost, the child murders of Robin Hood Hills, mm-hmm. and I think they thought uh, it was the same guy. Did you see Brothers Keeper, the other documentary? Uh, yeah, about the the, the, the older uh, older brothers. brothers. Love that one, man. That's the same guy. The brothers keepers what put him on the map. Uh-huh. So I think he thought that Paradise Lost one was just the documentary. And to his credit, uh, Joe uh, Biden Berlinger, sure, I think he uh, he really championed this case and followed it to its conclusion over the course of two more documentaries over the years. Yeah, and from what I understand, he changed his mind about the the content or the crime midstream like i think yeah didn't he go there thinking he was just covering the crime and then yeah. went and actually saw what was going on i was like whoa yeah i think i think he was i mean because of him they were exonerated yeah ultimately yeah like he got three people out of prison one off death row yeah um yeah hats off but again this is part of the satanic panic scare um and that not that one that kind of came at the end of it but the um mcmartin movie on HBO started to change the tide. And so too did the exoneration of a woman named um, Margaret Kelly Michaels in New Jersey. Um, In 1993, she was let out of prison after it was revealed how coercive the questioning was um, of the children who ended up accusing her of this. And that was true in every case, it seems like. It was. It shed a lot of light onto this and people started going like, whoa, 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 wait, this is coercive, huh? Let's look at these other cases. Yeah. And you go back and look at the transcripts and see like, okay, these people were basically telling the kids what they wanted to hear. Yeah. They were using uh, approval whenever the kids said something that that pointed the finger. Right. They were using disapproval when the the kids refused to talk or whatever or or, or, uh, implicate anyone. Um, And if you go back and really listen to what the kids are saying, a lot of the times they're like, no, nothing happened. Well, and then they would follow that with, are you sure this didn't happen? Right. Are you sure this didn't happen? And you're not supposed to do that, and you're certainly not supposed to put people in prison for half of their lives. Well, and you're especially not supposed to do that to a kid who's highly suggestible right. and wants to please because most kids want to please. Right. And when you look at some of these allegations, it sounds like if you asked a three-year-old to make up what they think ritual abuse would be, right. 
Here's, here's what a kid would say. Yeah, they locked us in a closet with spiders and snakes. Yeah, they put us in a pool with sharks that ate babies, and they right. fed us baby parts. Right. So um, the real death knell of the satanic ritual abuse scare came in 1994 um, with a meta-survey for um, the National Center on Child Abuse and Neglect. And this study, it contacted um, prosecutors, regular lawyers, social workers, psychologists. I think that was it. Thousands and tens of thousands of them across the country ended up whittling it down to a sizable sample and found um, all sorts of things. Specifically, what they found is there was no evidence whatsoever of any satanic cults operating anywhere in the U.S. or a single crime carried out by a satanic cult. They said that they found a couple of um, crimes that were carried out by people <clears throat> allegedly in the name of Satan, but that these were most likely inspired by the satanic panic itself. And solo uh, uh, affairs. That's what, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but they had, had, it wasn't a satanic cult by any means. No. Um, they also found in this study that children um, of the ages that, that where they would go to daycare weren't capable of forming the type of accusations against satanic ritual abuse yeah. um, that people had been convicted of, that clearly the adults were the ones who were channeling themselves through their children yeah. to accuse these people. The kids were saying things like they locked us in a, a closet with spiders and snakes. Yeah. They weren't saying like they carved open a baby and um, sexually abused it and then we all drank its blood while everyone was wearing black robes. They're, they're not sophisticated enough to think right. that kind of thing. So the study also proved that too. And then ironically, the same survey found plenty of evidence of religious-based crimes, including murders, carried out things like exorcisms that right. went too far, that kind of stuff. They're like, that actually is real. Right. And ironically, we have a lot of laws protecting people who do that, but we have laws that step up the punishment for satanic abuse, even though that doesn't exist. And that yeah. one really changed the tide of how people saw the satanic panic. Well, yeah, and then experts later came out and said, as far as the uh, physical abuse and the the doctors who testified at trial, like the type of a physical abuse these kids were enduring, they were like a, a layman could look at a child right. and, and say, wow, what happened to this kid? Right, you will obviously never be able to reproduce because yeah. you're totally mangled. In Not this like a- ambiguous, like, well, yeah, I think that they, it seems like they had some marks where they could have uh, been, you know, uh, molested or something. Right. Like it would have been so obvious. Right. Because these allegations were so far out there. Yeah. And, of course, years later, they say this. At the time, everyone was drinking the flavor aid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> nice. The blood-drenched flavor aid. And insult to injury, that same media, all of a sudden, the hot story became the outrage that was <laughs> satanic panic and what a bunch of, of crap that it was. Right. So now let's cover that story in full. Yeah. Even though we had a lot to do with it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, Chuck, why did people drink the flavor aid? Like, what was the immediate reason for the satanic panic? Well, you found this great article. Which one? I found a lot of great articles. <laughs> the the three uh, satanic ritual abuse as... Oh, yeah, the sociological article. Yeah, that was good. Um, they have a few reasons um, as subversion ideology, mm-hmm. as rumor panic, and as contemporary legend. 
And the subversion ideology I thought was super interesting. I didn't even know what that was. I hadn't heard of it before you. Uh, they define it as a culturally constructed myth that gives shape and form to feelings of anxiety and uncertainty about the future that are experienced between uh, periods of rapid, unpredictable social change. Right. So, so we're anxious. We're not even necessarily conscious of our anxiety, but we just we don't feel quite right. We, everything's changing. We don't know what's going on. So what's, yeah, what, what, what exactly is making us nervous? Oh, uh, how about that group over there? Satanists. Yeah, Whereas basically. Whereas before it was Jews, and before that it was Christians. Exactly. Now it, it's It puts Satanists. a face to, to this underlying sense of dread we feel because the times are changing. Exactly, and it, it gives us a, um, an outlet at the expense of other people. But that's the, with the subversion ideology, the hallmark characteristic of it is that the, that other group takes everything we hold dear and values the opposite of it. Yeah, so threatens sa- it. So Satanists, they, they use upside-down crosses, and evil is what's yeah. really good. And um, it was, It's a classic example of subver- subversion ideology. Well, and one thing I thought was really interesting in here is um, they contend, and I'm sure it's true, that subversion ideology actually ends up having a stabilizing effect because people then go, Oh, okay. Well, that's why I'm so upset and worried and anxious <laughs> right. yeah. is because of these Satanists, yeah. not what's really going on. Which is the end of the millennium, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, whatever. That was another explanation I ran across is that it was millennial anxiety. <laughs> um, there is also no, the, another one you said, moral or rumor panic. Yeah. Um, which I th- we touched on before, but basically that is this idea that um, – it's just buying into a rumor yeah. and, like, really, really buying into it. And the way you buy into it is because all of a sudden um, professional psychiatrists and psychologists and law enforcement people and people in the newspaper are talking about this stuff yeah. like it's fact. And with that, because we trust these people as being smart, intelligent people, it becomes fact in the eyes and the minds of just normal people. And that gives it veracity in and of itself. Once people yeah. start believing something as fact— Without any proof, yeah. you a rumor panic has just set in. Well, and ironically, too, the, it seems like the more out there the, the panic is, the more readily it's believed. Because mm-hmm. the old, like, who would make something like that up? Right. Well, a three-year-old might. <laughs> right. Being coaxed by police and her parents and her shrink. Yeah. And then the last one is an urban legend, which we talked about before, but this sociological article pointed something out that I hadn't thought of that... Um, Urban legends deal in metaphors, even yeah. though we don't think of them as metaphors. So in this case, the children that were being abused by Satanists were a metaphor for our future. And children are our future. Just go ask Whitney Houston. Well, you can't. It's true. <laughs> um, and then as people start to buy into it, it becomes a rumor panic, and you can dress it up with subversion ideology. So in the end, uh, the McMartins, uh, I don't think they ever... Well, I think they, they served, were never prosecuted. I think they were in jail here and there while the trial was going on. Yeah, but they were never prosecuted. But never successfully prosecuted. The Kellers were eventually exonerated. But they spent 21 years in prison. Oh, and their each. life was ruined. 21 years in prison each yeah. based on these false accusations. I have to say, if you want to read one of the better articles I've ever read, uh, it's called The Innocent and the Damned. It's uh, from Texas Monthly. It was written in 1994. While this satanic panic is going on, but the, somehow Texas Monthly took a critical eye to this stuff. Yeah. It's a really good article. I thought this was so fascinating because as crazy as it seems now, and like I was saying at the very beginning, like how in the world in the 1980s did we buy into this like it was – Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the reasons behind it, it was like the perfect storm coalescing. Uh, 
and it, it sort of makes perfect sense when you look at everything behind it. It does, but doesn't it also? But still not. Like even 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 if you take into account that you're using hindsight and that the perspective that's afforded by that. Yeah. The gullibility. I know. That's it, that is involved in a moral panic is. It's just. It's saddening. I bet Edward Bernays would have been all over this. Oh yeah, well he fomented those kind of things. You know. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it's sad. Uh, also, if you want some yucks, go look up "Law Enforcement Guide to Satanic Cults" on YouTube. Oh, the, the video series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so weird. I'm glad to know that you had a Satan house in your neighborhood, too. I think everybody did. Or rumors that, like, yeah. somebody found a cat with its head cut off in a pentagram, and uh-huh. you're just like, oh, that happened. Yeah. Because I'm 10, which is okay if you're 10, but if you're 50, it's not okay, especially if you're the local prosecutor. Yeah. Uh, and it also, one last thing, Chuck, it makes you wonder, what moral panics are we working on right now? Oh, yeah. What's it's, the brewing? It's not like this is ancient history. No. You know? Uh, If you want to know more about moral panics and specifically the satanic panic, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Here's what I predict is that some people are going to write in and say, dudes, we're in the middle of another moral panic right now, and it is blank. Vocal fry. Perhaps. (laughs) Some lady called me the fry master in an email. Did you see that? No, I didn't. She was like, Chuck always uses vocal fry. And I, then when I listen to my voice, I'm like, I totally do. Yeah. But, uh. You totally do. <laughs> I've noticed it a lot more since we, um, uh, did since we show. did that episode. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. I'm being me. Yeah, man. You should. I'm a trendsetter. Uh, I'm going to call this, um, oh, the guy's setting us straight on these, uh, grocery store donations. Okay. Hey, guys. Long time listener. Love you guys never thought uh, this would be the reason I have to reach out to you at the end of the podcast on Tuesday um, you said <laughs> I don't know which podcast it was at the end of the recent podcast uh, actually I had to stop and say no because my friends Josh and Chuck didn't just do that he told people not to donate a dollar to buy the little uh, hot air balloons at the grocery store because the company then uses those donations get a tax credit. This is absolutely not true. That is not true what that guy said. He says, uh, I have actually been working with uh, Children's Miracle Network Hospitals in Connecticut for about 20 years. And by the way, when I said the balloons, I forgot that was Children's Miracle Network specifically. <laughs> I used to do a lot of work with them in L.A. So you weren't singling them out? On video shoots? No, of course not. It's, <laughs> they're amazing. You're like, it's the shamrocks I have a problem with. I know. I just felt terrible after that. So, um... He says our corporate partners do not get tax credits for donations made by their customers. In fact, many of our corporate partners ring these donations through their registers so the donation shows on the customer's receipt, allowing them to use that for their taxes. What? A quick fun fact about the Miracle Balloon um, that I reference is that the first one ever sold in the entire world was at a small diner in downtown Middletown, Connecticut. To Roy Cohn. In 1986. (laughs) I thought he was going to say, like, 1904. Yeah. Uh, soon after that, um, the Miracle Balloon became a multinational program that raises money for more than 170 local children's hospitals across the U.S. and Canada. And so its that- creator became very, very rich. <laughs> As I mentioned, I've been doing this job for about 20 years, and I have to tell uh, that I always say I have the best job in the world. I get to work with amazing people like my coworkers and all of our partners, and I get to work for the most inspiring people, our patient families. Uh, please help me get this corrected. The stuff you should know, Legion. Uh, don't worry, I still love you guys. That is uh, from Scott. 
uh, Organek, uh, the director of Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Wow, from the horse's mouth. Or a director. Yeah, so I, I don't... We're going to have to look into this a little further, I think. We got other people that said that's not true, and other people said it is true. For Children's Miracle Network, I'm sure he knows what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. But there are all kinds of things to donate to. And he's also probably not a liar. I don't know. He seems like a <laughs> Just kidding. regular guy. Right. Not a satanic ritual abuser. No, not at all. In any way. Right. So we'll, we'll look into it. I certainly did not mean to disparage the uh No, I didn't CMA. either. And I mean, if that's the way it works, I retract that. But I need to look into it a little more first. All right. The jury's out. Um, thank you very much. What was his name, David? Yep. David, you're awesome. Thank you for the work you're doing, too. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to set us straight, we love that. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.